So the track damaged the tyres. It was far too hot to compete. Oscar Piastri won a sprint race. And a world champion was crowned, apparently. Who knows? Welcome back to Motorsport 101. It's never a good sign when a guy winning the world championship is at the bottom of our set list. But hey, I guess that's Formula One for you sometimes. Welcome to episode 477 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Trey Harrison. And in this edition, we'll be talking about the Qatar Grand Prix. Never have we had so much to talk about for a Grand Prix that was at best decent. Uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's it's weird how this sport works out sometimes, but like the story was everything that wasn't the race itself directly. Weird how these things turn out, but uh, a lot to get through in Qatar. Um, just the two of us on this week's edition, or this week's recordings, I should say, because we've got a MotoGP one to get through. Apparently some news dropped last week that was fairly important. Um, but uh, RJ is... More on um, that later. Yeah, RJ's out on the road. He's at Petit Le Mans this weekend, the lucky bastard. Um, <laughs> have a good one, RJ. I know you'll be listening. Um, but have a good one, buddy. Yeah, sleeping, sleeping under the watchful eye of the Michelin man on the side of the media center. <laughs> it's like imagine watching him in one corner ryan eric king who's also down there but also on the other side the michelin man. i'm not sure which one's scarier <laughs> well depends if, if mike hawthorne becomes a topic yes as you can probably guess by now cam buckley is in, is in the other chair next to me right now and uh did, did you listen to our indycar season review cam <laughs> um i didn't have a chance to on account of the fact that i had covid and yes. wasn't able to be on it and i'm pissed yeah, that was that was brutally unlucky for two reasons. One, because of the, obviously COVID is, is a bastard, of course, and, and that's horrible. I still have the cough, so if you hear me uh, spluttering a little bit, you know why. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt, no kidding. But the second part was, was that... Uh, uh, King called himself Zach Wilson um, um, because of standing in at the last minute to do that show. And um, I love the fact that he that, that he accidentally compared you to Aaron Rodgers, which I thought was a horrible insult. Oh, he's going to fuck himself. <laughs> I felt like it was only fair to give you the right of reply um, on that one. <laughs> that, that That is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Yes, I will happily say um, Aaron Rodgers can go fuck himself for trying to have a debate with Travis Kelsey, who, heaven forbid, promotes the idea of getting vaccinated. Mr. Pfizer now, which is that in his own words, he wears that name with pride. Love that for him. I, I like uh, Travis Kelsey living life at the moment for what it's worth. Um, <laughs> you know, hey, I, I'm on a very good football team. I've won two Super Bowls. I'm a positive role model for taking vaccines. And you're dating the most famous person on the planet. The other one is Aaron Rodgers, who has one good knee and is currently out of a, out of a job. He's unemployed. Yeah, and, his uh, Achilles is currently made of toothpicks and chewing gum. Yeah, and, and fuck Pat Matthew for, for continuing to platform this goon on his show. As far as I'm concerned, like, I don't know why people like Pat McAfee so much, but if you're continuing to put a anti-vaxxer on your platform every other week because he's Aaron Rodgers, you're just as bad as him, quite frankly. Um, I don't need Joe Rogan podcast tactics of go on and debate me. Um, that's that's how problems start, and I don't like it. Anyway, let, we'll, we'll talk about the Qatar Grand Prix in this podcast over the next hour or so. And, well, 
everything that wasn't the Qatar Grand Prix, really, because uh, we had an unmitigated disaster on Saturday morning roll up when Pirelli sliced the tyres open. More on that in a bit. It had a dramatic effect on the entire weekend. Um, And there was one problem that wasn't actually too much of a problem in the end, and one that definitely was, and that was, oh, yeah, did we mention it's 33 degrees during the race? Like, that... That generally might be a problem. Um, bit dangerous on that end. Um, and, oh, yeah, the race itself actually happened. We had teammates take each other out. We had Oscar Piastri in the sprint race because, hey, McLaren's won something this year. That's a plus. Um, and the small deal of Max Verstappen becoming the first man in 40 years to win a world title on a Saturday, as you do. The, the, the last person to do that, Cam? Do you know, money chance? Um, I'm sure pre-COVID me would, but post-COVID me has hella brain fog. So, you know. His future father-in-law. Kyle Army, 83. Moving on. Moving on. Moving on in Places you can find this real quick. (laughs) Things I wanted to come back from 2005 this year. Resident Evil 4. Things I didn't want to return from 2005. The 2005 United States Grand Prix. (laughs) <laughs> generally this is a good idea uh, basically you can find us real quick we are on twitter.com forward slash motorsport underscore 101 our personal handles are at dre underscore wtf1 at cbuckley 917 if you want to find rj you can rj o'connell sadly not with us on this week's recordings i'll be back next week He's having hopefully. far too much fun yes um, at one of my favorite racetracks in the world where um please god bring this one home <laughs> please god <laughs> well, well, well i'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit next week when he's back on the show because we've got to we'll have we'll have moto gp in indonesia to talk about next week as well um again if you want to if you want to back us financially you can on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 if you want to help help us and back us financially on there that'd be very cool <laughs> indeed and of course all of those details and our social media and all that good stuff is on our website motorsport 101 dot com including some bonus thoughts on this very race in qatar written by yours truly and also if you wouldn't if you missed it check out last week's edition as well the the, the i called it pull over the 2023 indycar season review 130 130- line i was <laughs> silenced by nature <laughs> it's a 130 it. minute special on the 2023 indycar season it was, it was a very very good show and i'm very happy with um so do check that out if you haven't already um but yeah without Without further ado, let's get into all the chaos that was the 2023 Qatar Grand Prix right after this. Well, this Grand Prix was eventful, huh? (laughs) On uh, Saturday morning, Pirelli revealed that the new pyramid curbs, a protruding ribbed 50 millimeter high curb... For your pleasure. ...was... I swear to God, Harrison. You said ribbed. It wasn't in the script. Uh, That's what it is. I'm not saying you're wrong. Well, the tires weren't feeling the pleasure because uh, it was causing them to oscillate and fall apart at their sidewalls. Uh, As a result, the track limits of turns 12 and 13 were extended inwards by about 80 centimeters. And due to a sprint race that was all kinds of fucky with numerous safety cars... It was inconclusive, and the FIA mandated an effective three-stop race via a go-over-this-and-you're-black-flagged 18-lap tire life limit. Now, not 18-lap stints, 
but rather 18 laps on the tires themselves, regardless of whether they were used previously or not. It turned the race into a 57-lap sprint, with Oscar Piastri in second claiming he had done effectively 57 qualifying laps. How do we feel about the changes on this one, Dre? Um, well, not a good sign that um, Tom Bassis, who is the FIA um, single-seater president at this point at the FIA, had to explain himself on Sky Sports saying that, oh, turns out these pyramid curbs might not be the solution after all. Which Really? Yeah, I, I, and for those who know your bikes, which we both do on this show, they, they'd they already installed them in her ref. And the moment I saw them, I was like, this is not a good idea. Um, like, I was like, how is this going to fix anything? Um, and yeah, it was, they've, they've put them in there and at Misano um, currently at the moment. And, and I know that's mm-hmm. more effective for the MotoGP calendar than it is for F1, obviously. But uh, as soon we as have I to saw raise them, the point again, mm-hmm. we have to raise the point. Because all throughout the weekend, there was just put a wall there discourse. Well, this is a MotoGP track first and an F1 track second. Right. If you put a wall there, you're going to kill some motorcycle riders. That's not an option. Yeah, exactly. So, no, um, people, again, for whatever reason, own sometimes sometimes people only watch F1. And look, that's fine, but educate yourself if you're going to make those sorts of comments. Um, Because it's not as simple as just saying put a wall there or put gravel there or whatever the fuck you want to say. It's not as simple as that. This was was already a, a treacherous sort of Grand Prix a very abrasive surface, you know, not a lot of grip. New a lot surface. Of s- new surface. It was a track had been resurfaced as well. Um, a lot of sand blowing around, 20 mile an hour crosswinds across the track. Um, all sorts of fucky, basically. It was it was not an ideal conditions race. Um, now, I have to say this, props to Pirelli. They found the problem early. Then, then that is as much as you can reasonably ask for. And um, in a weekend where, of course, with, with the sprint weekend, you have to remember, we only get mm, the practice session. Yeah, um, so they the really, you, we only really had one practice session to get this right and get the data necessary to figure out that they had a problem mm. um, and then try and correct for it. Yeah, and the FIA did, as far as I'm concerned, a, overall a good job. Like, this was not a problem during the race. We had no tire failures. Yeah, we had no tire failures and everything ended up fine. And uh, well done to Peretti for, for finding the error quickly and the FIA quickly coming in to mandate changes. I mean, it, it may have been a bit more conclusive if we knew what would happen off the sprint as they were going to use the sprint tires as a reference point towards this. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. because the sa- because that sprint race had three safety cars in it, we didn't get anywhere near 19 laps of green flag running. Um, so the, the data from that sprint was inconclusive. So they had, to, they had to take the worst case scenario, which was go off the practice tires. And as a result, they were like, well, we can't guarantee the safety of the tire beyond 20 laps. So they put an 18 lap, 18 lap hard limit in there. And again, this was a safety change. It was a mandated change. I'm not going to complain about it because it was done for the greater good. And... I would say props to everyone in this case. Thankfully, in, in this instance of the tires are oscillating themselves apart, we're not in a tire war era. No. So there was no vested interest in certain teams deciding to dig their heels in, mm. and everyone came together to ensure we got a race. Right. Um, and I don't think that the FIA and Pirelli could have really done much else with the data they had, with the tires they had, because 
with the fact that this is a control tire, a set mm-hmm. of control tires in this case. Um, the Pirelli production pipeline does not really, it, it can't facilitate them overnighting new tires. No, you, you would never um, you plan have to, for you that go to happen. with what you have. Yeah, yeah, you would never plan for that to happen, even more so in a shootout, in a, in a sprint weekend where you, everybody's got less sets anyway because it's only 11 for the whole weekend rather than 13. Um, right. You know, so yeah, it's just a series of unfortunate events, but the sport, the governing body and Pirelli's attire supplier came together and they they mitigated the problem as best they could. Now, was it perfect? No. I think the drivers deserved more than a 10-minute practice session to get used to the new layout of how 12 and 13 got down. Um, I know it's very easy for us to criticize the drivers and say, oh, just stay to the lines, but you fundamentally changed the corner. Um, that's that's going to take some getting used to, and I don't think there's any coincidence that 31 laps got thrown out during the shootout. Um, right. You know, and I think they deserved more than a 10-minute practice session to get used to that new corners. I, th- I think the drivers were kind of set up to fail a little bit on that one. Um, and, you know, you're going from a 10-minute rehabilitation session into a qualifying session where drivers are going to take as much liberty as they can i mean that was always going to be a recipe for disaster and it played all kinds of havoc in that in that shootout session so yeah it was messy in in that sense and look i'm not gonna pretend like a lot of people like i literally fun fact um friend of the show john t's corner put in a take the linden up on hot takes wednesday my other show literally saying hey the drivers should push more, and we should have more races like this. And to which my response was, were we, were we watching the same race? Because I don't think the drivers pushing one. any harder made it any more entertaining than a normal race does. No, because at the end of the day, uh, with the nature of modern Formula One cars, with the nature of the track designs, um, you need offsets in order to... And what we saw on Sunday's race was and we'll get to the reasons why most of the passing came from extreme tire offsets because if you were on the soft tire they just died immediately yeah they were good for about five laps um if you were on the hard tire you were slow as hell yeah too 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 long to get heat into the tire um if you were on the mediums you were pushing them the whole stint Mm -hmm. and then there was a big deficit between fresh tires and uh old tires and George Russell was coming through the field because of uh, reasons redacted for now. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, it, you we, need those. If you have similar cars in similar positions and everyone's pushing 100 percent. I guess it looks more interesting to the camera. That's about it. Yeah, like it's it's the, I, I've said many a time about this. The whole idea about pushing 100 percent of the time makes for a more entertaining sport is a myth. It's a placebo that fans would often cite to make themselves feel better about what they're watching. I don't think it necessarily makes a race more entertaining. And I think this is the walk-in example of that. I don't think this, this race for me, if assuming we didn't have this Pirelli tire problem, which again, not Pirelli, not necessarily Pirelli's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, we would have likely seen one stoppers dominate the proceedings of this race. Um, because there was no, tire degradation in this race it was a glorified sprint in all but name and it it i think it would have made for a more interesting race seeing guys battle between one and two stops 
Mm. Um, and we didn't get that. And we also knew roughly when everybody was going to pit. So we didn't get a lot of undercar. We got the chart yeah, before we had, the we, race. Yeah, we had the chart and, you know, Pirelli mm-hmm. again doing the right thing, giving the audience as much information as possible, which is what I, I've got no problem. I've got, I'm, I'm all for that, um, of course. And the, the sports itself had the sheet and they actually put graphics on the screen to help the audience say when they had the pit. That's a good thing. I got no problem with that. Giving the audience information it's is a good thing. Your audience, yeah, like that's a good thing. It's just a shame that as a result, it killed a lot of the intrigue because you knew when everybody was coming in. Um, so, look, and again, this is not a criticism of the sport. This is what they had to do with the safety mandate in place. They had to make the best of a bad situation, and I think they did a decent job, all things considered. It's just unfortunate that. Look, anyone that talks about having mandated stops in races needs to stop. It's not going to make the sport any better. Um, you you need, in my opinion, you need tires that can degrade enough to make two versus one stop viable, in my opinion. I think mm. that's the sweet spot as far as I'm concerned. Not this whole idea about, oh, you know, we need three stops in a race or we need to use all three compounds. I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is most of the time Pirelli plays it safe and we have a hard tire that can do more than half distance. So why wouldn't you want to one-stop it? Well, no, because what we've got now is actually something that's worse because now the hard tire is unviable. It has been all season because it's just, it doesn't work. You can't switch it on. Mm. You have the medium that's too good at everything because it has more grip than the soft will after five or six laps. Mm. But it also, you can switch it on, unlike the hards. So most weekends, we have one viable race tire right now. Yeah. And this has been a consistent theme across the season. No, you make a very good point there. The medium tire has been the race tire for, you know, a good chunk of this season. And like we, it's like we have to run a soft or a hard alongside that in the most generic one-stopper of races most of the time because one race tire is often good enough <coughs> to do more than half race distance. And once you do that, if you've got a tire that can do that viably, it's going to be a one-stopper every time. And that isn't entertaining, unfortunately. That's not going to produce intriguing strategic races. And then that's unfortunate. And this was an extreme example of that, but this was the other end of the scale. This was designated pit windows for three stoppers that wasn't interesting. It was just... Guys coming in and going as fast as they can. And that's probably why McLaren ended up so close to Red Bull by the end of the race. It, it blunted the, the the ultimate weapon in the RB19's vast array, yeah. which is the fact that it is just the best car on its tires in all conditions. Yeah. Now, it didn't end up mattering because they had so much pace in hand at the end of stints anyways that Max could basically open the taps after saving the tires, set a fastest lap, get undercut by a couple seconds and still have enough margin to get out anyway. Yeah, and he was just better. They were still still just slightly better on their tires than McLaren were anyway. So, like, Piastri would stay with Max for a few laps and then towards the end of the stints, McLaren would fade again. And, like, Piastri was excellent in the back end of the race, but I think that was partly because Norris was pushing him. More on that in a little bit towards the end of the Mm. show, but... um, yeah, I, I like for all those people that are saying we need races like this where people are pushing 100 percent or we need mandated stops. No, that's not going to solve this. I think problem. it was the worst. You, we, you ended up seeing the worst of both worlds. 
exactly and and i don't think that i don't think that made for a more entertaining race but i don't care about the entertainment side of this race because they had to do this just to save the tires and and for safety reasons so you got to do what you got to do unfortunately in some cases and well i suppose that's a good segue because mm. uh one safety issue ended up thankfully being mitigated while the other one raged throughout the entire grid because uh the temperatures yeah, the race, though, was marred by another problem. Insane temperatures. Qatar peaked at 40 degrees in the afternoon, and even at night, 33-degree heat and 77% humidity. This was, this was a true story. It was, it was 77% humidity during the race, which is... I mean, when the dew point of the, of the track is over 25 degrees, it, it, it is very uncomfortable, even if you're not in a racing car, let alone if you are in one. And it led to a lot of scary stories we had logan Sargent being forced to park his car with a combination of dehydration and flu-like symptoms apparently Sargent had the flu going into this race weekend he was trying to fight it off and that in combination with extreme dehydration forced him to park the car alex albon had acute heat exposure he had to go to the medical center after the race as did lance stroll and there is some scary footage of him on the main straight on social media that looks a lot like him potentially on the brink of blacking out um, from the conditions. Can't say for sure. I'm not a doctor, but it didn't look right. Mm. Did you see the onboard of Charles Leclerc from the start of the race to the end of the race? No. So he can't hold his head up during the last thing. His head is, you know, hitting the headrest side to Mm. side, depending on where the Gs are pulling him. He physically can't hold his head up anymore. Yeah, so in other words, his, his neck had gone, in other words. Um, yeah, George Russell openly admitted he nearly blacked out after the race was over. Um, he was Lance, holding his hands up out of the cockpit going down the main straight to grab some air. Yeah, they, like Yuki, oh, there's other little stories Yuki Sonoda tried to drive with his visor open, but he couldn't because it was blowing sand in his face, um, which wasn't ideal. Um, Valtteri Bottas called the race torture. Charles Leclerc said... It was the toughest race conditions he's ever raced in, and anyone who says it wasn't was lying, um, which I respected very much. Um, Esteban Ocon was sick in his helmet on lap 15. He raced 42 laps of a Grand Prix of sick in his helmet, which is just horrible. Um, mm. I've put in my notes here, what did you make of the conditions and should this race have happened? Which my answer is a firm no. Uh, yeah, this is... It, it, it's too much. Elizabeth Blackstock for Jodop, they put out a really strong column about this and something that I deeply agree with. And so this is like, let's, I'll cut to the chase here. This was a scheduling goof. You can't race this race in October. October is the back end of summer for Qatar. It's still ludicrously hot in this country, even in October, where temperatures were generally between 29 and 39 degrees Celsius, which is basically 80 to 100 fahrenheit yeah race night during the race it was 33 degrees new money which translates to 91.4 degrees in old money that's like again with severe humidity now look here's what i'll say in a a, a grand scheme of things and i've had accusations of the show gets too political sometimes but i'm gonna say it anyway get used to this this is global warming in real time this is climate change affecting the way we race. Because putting this, I mean, if it, there's other examples of Qatar and sports and the sports washing that it's been taking part in for some time now. 
Cam, you're not the biggest soccer fan in the world, but do you remember when the last World Cup took place in Qatar? Uh, yeah. During, during the winter. Yeah. When the World Cup is normally in July. Yeah, so it's the only viable time. Otherwise, it's it's beyond the human limit. And you know, these are 20 of the fittest drivers on the planet. Yeah. Um, these cars generate 6G through some of these corners, especially here. Very mm. fast corners. A lot, of, a lot of fast corner complexes, yeah. Some of the heaviest cars that we've ever had. And they just had to do, as a result of the tire situation, 57 laps of just balls out at the limit of what is possible. Mm. Because that is what Formula One is. It's at the limit of what is possible according to the rules. This was over that line. We had about half of this grid openly sick, openly in physical distress by the end of the race, or passing out in the medical center after the fact. I mean, Oscar Piastri uh, in the podium room was sprawled out on the floor, chugging an iced bottle of water, while Max is also on the floor with a towel over his head, looking like he's about to pass out. I don't think they were in a fit state to record the Max Verstappen podcast after the fact, to be honest. I think they were going to struggle a little bit on that one. Um, can, can, mm. the, can the microphone reach the floor? Just asking for a friend. I mean, this is this is what it's like. Qatar's World Cup last year took place in December for a reason. Like, like when they had hosted the World Athletics Championships a couple of years ago, they had to run their marathon at midnight because it was too hot, 45 plus degrees to run a marathon in midday when you would normally run a marathon. Like if you've ever seen the John Boys video about the 1908 Boston Olympics and the marathon that took place during that, you'll know exactly what we're talking about here. Um, this race was too much. It was borderline dangerous. And look, to a degree, I, I don't think I don't think it was borderline. No, I, I mean, I, I think I I'm think if you're in a situation where, and I won't even expand too much on the ultra boomer takes by, well, people who should know better, Martin Brundle, Will Buxton. Well, well, unfortunately, they're both on the payroll, so they're both going to suck F one's dick regardless because they're literally paid to suck F one's dick. But irrespective of that. The examples that they were listing, especially in the case of something like Nikki Lauda's situation in 76, mm-hmm. if you've seen Rush, you know all about it. He quit. He withdrew from the final race. It was too much. Jackie Stewart and the famous wet Nürburgring race in 1968. That was the rock upon which he built his church for his safety push later Mm. on. Senna in 1991 at Brazil, that was car inflicted with a broken gearbox. We are beyond the human limit. And it's one thing with the tires where the tires, you can control the parameters around them. If someone passes out in an F1 car from heat exhaustion, there's no telling what happens when that car leaves the road. Goodness only knows. We, I don't, I don't think we realize how lucky we were on this one. Like we were on the brink of a potentially very, very horrible accident. And then imagine walking up to the car and finding out the driver inside said car had passed out from heat exhaustion. It's a horror. It would be a black horror day for the sport if that was ever allowed to happen. 
Alex when, Albon could barely lift himself out of the car. Yeah, he had Alfa Romeo's mechanics check on him after the fact because he could barely get out of his out of his car under his own power. When the extraction test is meant to be ten seconds, it was longer. Oh, without question. Out there. Without question, like this, like look. Thankfully, this was probably only going to be a one-off because next year Qatar is in December. It's literally on December first. This should not be a problem in two years' time. The cooler temperature should solve itself. This was a scheduling fuck up from Formula One management. They should never have had this race in October. That like that was a horrible idea. This wasn't a problem two years ago, the last time we raced it, because that was a November Grand Prix. Um where- it, it, it's equivalent, right, Dre, to mm. the discussions around Japan when yeah. you're putting that track, you're putting that race at Suzuka in October in peak typhoon season. It's the mm. same situation. You're beyond the limit of the cars when you have a typhoon dropping rain on the track. In the words of CM Punk, your arms are too short to box with God at that point. Um, Opposite end of the spectrum, but the same situation here. Yeah. It's it's too hot to be driving a Grand Prix car that hard for that long. The cockpits were over over 50 degrees. Over 50 degrees, and they're in full race suits. It's 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 dangerous. You're cooking. You're cooking your drivers like brisket. Like you could boil an egg in that cockpit at that temperature. I'm it's, astounded it's, we didn't see reliability issues this weekend because the cars yeah. were under insane duress. Yeah, and um, everybody and made saw... it home technically. Well, you know, besides the 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 accidents, there was no mechanical failures. Yeah, I mean, you had Red Bull and Mercedes, and I mean, pretty much everyone running the cars completely open, which you don't do for aerodynamic reasons. You don't do that unless you are under risk. It, it, this was too much. This was dangerous. This, this Grand Prix should not have happened in in that state or under those conditions. Um, I I get it. Sport generally has a show. The show must go on sort of vibe, but this was too much. And um, what I will say um, in regards to Buxton and Brundle's takes are: we need like uh, uh, generally and. Give me two minutes on this cam. It's just I've got something I want to say on this. Is the, I'll, uh, like, I'll turn up the heat. Um, give you the pot and let you cook. Yeah, I mean, why do we need Formula One drivers to be heroes? We we don't like this. Like, are we that insecure about our own sport that we feel like the only way people will love and respect us is if these guys are on the brink of killing themselves behind the wheel? Now I get it. I know, and I've known, and I've met people—people people that have been very close to me in my time in radio. My old Downforce Radio director, Lester Forbes, was one of these people that got a kick out of the danger of motorsport. You know, the idea that someone might die behind the wheel for them is a thrill, and I think that's bollocks. Personally, I, I'd, I'd rather not see people die behind the wheel of, 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 of anything. Motorsport is dangerous enough as it is. I don't need any additional risk for me to, to for me to watch a race with, with the baby or the man thinking, oh God, somebody might cark it today. Isn't that wonderful? No, it's fucking horrible. And I, and I don't like it. it and, and And it's... What I find baffling with people like, and get me wrong, people that know me know I have a, a level of respect for Martin Brundle. He's one of my, I wouldn't be the broadcaster I am today if it wasn't for him. But I can't stand this boomerific take that we need drivers to be heroes. The most popular thing that's happened to this sport in the last 30 years was a reality TV show that made up narratives and storylines 
partly because it made the drivers more human and more relatable. It wasn't because they were heroes. It wasn't because, you know, they were driving cars in stupid conditions. It was because they made them more relatable to us, the average Joe. It's the complete opposite of the hero worship that so many people think makes this sport what it is. I, I, I can't... This, this antiquated belief that, oh, the drivers of 30, 40 years ago were these heroic dudes who raced in all conditions, as Cam quite rightly pointed out, half of these dudes were screaming about safety just as much as we are now. The difference is this audience in this generation is far more empathetic, knowledgeable, and understanding than we were 40 years ago. That's a good thing. Yeah, well, and and, and death in motorsport, thankfully, is not nearly as much of a regular thing. Um, because in this late 60s and mid-70s, if you strapped into a, a Formula One car, there was a fairly good chance you were not going to step back out of it. Jackie Stewart once said that every time he left his house for a Grand Prix, he'd take extra time to look at it as he was walking towards his car because he knew there was a good chance he wouldn't see it again. From the man himself. My my counter to that, well, not really a counter because it is, and I agree. Drivers shouldn't have to be nearly killing themselves to be your heroes. They're already strapping themselves into a 220-mile-per-hour carbon fiber missile and doing battle for our entertainment. That really should be enough. And if if that isn't enough, then then maybe I don't want to be an F1 fan anymore because I don't think it's worth it at that point. If we need drivers to be on the brink of death in order for us to truly enjoy what we're watching, then what we're watching is not worth watching. It's as simple as that. And that's the sports yeah. problem for not being able to portray their sport in as positive a light as it can. That's a, that's a failure on the sports part to promote itself properly. Yeah. And, and Dre, I wasn't on the IndyCar uh, ep- the review episode, but mm. a career end, a, a, a crash has probably ended my favorite IndyCar driver's career. A series of severe crashes ended my favorite NASCAR driver's career, if you don't know. Big old Dale Earnhardt Jr. fan. Of course. We don't know what their quality of life is going to be from the brain damage done decades down the line for them. Because we've because barely, neither of them are particularly yeah. old. Yeah, we, and we've barely scratched the surface on head injuries in general. We are, we are, There is so much still to explore. We're at the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, CTE has only become a, a generalized term in the last five years. Yeah, and I really don't need to see my drivers, to see my athletes getting hurt, having their quality of life affected, or losing their life entirely to be entertained. No, never. And if, if that's if it, and that and what that is is barbaric. And it goes exactly against what I think motorsport has been doing for a very long time, which is this barbaric gladiatorial nature of leaning on that danger, leaning on that risk, leaning on that above 0% chance that someone might not come back from a Grand Prix to promote itself. And I, and I, again, I think this sport's got a massive insecurity complex over that very reason. Trey, like, a few years ago... After fucking... Whose crash was it? 
I don't remember the like, specific one, so I'll go with another example. Remember when Robin Miller said, oh, Ro- Romain Grosjean's crash wasn't as big as our crashes? Need some proper when danger the di- in when, that. when the dick measuring contest has been reduced to, oh, well, your guy didn't come as close to dying as our guys because our guys actually died. Yeah. That's and, not a valid position to take. Yeah. Because and, and, your boys hmm. should not be dying. No, and like again, IndyCar I've said for many years has also had that problem. Like like Joseph Newgarden over the race weekend tweeted, "I'd love to see the data on how hot these cockpits that, that, really that's, are." That's what that's what I was citing. I thought it was an older one. No, it, it was um, it was Joseph Newgarden. Yeah, Joseph Newgarden. Like, it should not be a question of oh well, we race in hotter conditions than you, and we don't suffer from it. Alex Brundle actually had the opposite take from his own father, where he said. Oh, well, it's a good thing it finally happened in F1. That way, our organizing bodies will take this more seriously. One of the most because reasonable sports I've car seen races. The hmm. We've seen sports car races run in monstrous conditions. Hmm. And that is with, in the case of the closed top prototypes, those cars have had air conditioning. It's been mandated yeah. um, since the early 2010s. You need a minimum cockpit temperature. But it's just a, it, it's a needlessly barbaric way to view your own sport because motorsport will never be 100% safe. Never. But the drive for safety can never end. It's not like what I like. Look again, and I can't believe I'm saying this. I applaud the FIA for within a day of the race ending, immediately saying we're going to work with formula one to be proactive, to make sure this doesn't happen again. And they even acknowledged, yes, this race is going to be in December next year in its statement, but they were like, no, we're working with F1 now to make sure this doesn't happen again. Like, And I'm glad that for once, the sports governing body was proactive in saying, well, look, because they could easily have just said, well, sod it, it's going to be in December next year. You know, this isn't going to happen again. No, they said, look, we're working with the sport right now to make sure this doesn't happen again. Good. I'm delighted that it did. Yeah, and I mean, these are open-top cars. I mean, but they are sitting on the electronics and the hydraulics of these cars. Alonzo's seat was burning, and then his feet were burning. Yeah. Now, again, uh, I've got, I got a personal asterisk on it. Zoe may have made a valid point in our chat saying Joseph was wanting today to think safety will improve if F1 shares it. Um, and the FIA, I'm sure, will if they investigate this properly, because they normally do. Their investigations are normally fully released to the public. So um, I'm sure it will in, in response to that. And I, I hope... I'd like to think he was. I'd like to think Joseph was being sincere about that um, rather than turning it into what I like to call the Danger Olympics um, because I don't need that shit in, in motorsport at this point. It's, it's, it's not about which series is safer. It's about the, it's about the safety of everybody. And the, the, they should all be working with one another to make yeah. each other safer. Yeah, and I don't see any reason why that couldn't be a thing. But yes, um, again... A horrible situation, but again, we're glad that everybody made it through okay, and I'm glad that the sport is going to take proactive action to make sure it doesn't happen again because that cannot. We happen dodged again. a bullet. Another we dodged one. a series of bullets because a minimum eight nine drivers all having heat exhaustion and heat exhaustion related yeah uh, issues after horrible. The race. Yeah, on, 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 a, on a human level, we we don't need that in any form of sport, especially one as dangerous enough as motorsport as it is in its usual state. Oh, did I mention there was a race, by the way? Um, that, that, that happened. Um, 
as you could probably yeah, allude. Let me just uh, just uh, he's he's opening a a championship can of Red Bull with the driver's face on it because whilst our podcast isn't a visual medium unless you're paying for it, but mm. um, yes, is that a winner's ball? It's 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 a winner's ball because uh, Max Verstappen became the first man in forty years to win a world championship on a Saturday. Um, he won it by finishing second in the sprint behind Oscar Piastri. Well done him. Um, and yeah, if he followed that up with a Grand Slam victory on his, the Sunday, his his uh, his fourth in three years. His fourth Grand Slam in the last three seasons, his 14th win of 2023, which that means he's won 29 Grand Prix in the last two seasons, which is just absolutely terrifying. He's won- He's about to rack up Jensen Button's entire career within a single season. For the second year in a row. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> he's won 29 out of the last 39 Grand Prix, which is, again, we, we have never seen anything like this. Um... You know, we have to talk about Max, obviously, winning the World Championship, and there's not much to say that we haven't already said on this show. Uh, say we, we, we knew this shit. We knew this shit was inevitable when that car rolled off the truck in preseason. I mean, to be it, it's like we were talking out, we were trying to talk ourselves out of this scenario. Well, I wasn't. Uh, well, you, you weren't. You, you, to, be, to be fair to Cam, and to be fair, we kind of talked him off the fence on this one. Just, uh, you know, looking at this can, you just cross out, you cross out that other guy. Yeah, like, like, I think, like, think Doctor Helmet. Uh, Doctor Helmet says he's from somewhere down south. Yeah, South America, apparently. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, still can't fucking believe that exchange happened. Me, me neither. But I, I mean, what is to say that that, that it was just a complete, said? a complete folding over of the field? I mean, he hit him with a one hitter quitter in qualifying, like mm. Sebastian Vettel in uh, 2013, where Singapore yeah. comes out swings seven tenths on the field and no one else even comes. So he blew his second lap and it didn't even matter because no one else got within four with yep. significant track evolution. Track evolution was monstrous. This Off the charts. Yeah. It didn't matter. It, it didn't matter at all. It was, it was, it was like the greatest hits montage of Verstappen's brilliance this year condensed into one race weekend. This was not ideal scenario for Red Bull. This 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 race went completely against their normal strength. Um and Max was still utterly dominant. He absolutely destroyed this field again. And again, yes, Piastri was close, but that was because Red Bull was compromised in the way this race played out, and it was a glorified you sprint. You could not have gotten a better situation for not only McLaren but Piastri because Piastri <coughs> we will mm. 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 I, feel I, like, I feel like vid feel yeah. that vid in the lungs there <laughs> um well things that piastri isn't so good at and don't get me wrong he's a rookie he will learn of course because uh raw speed is off the charts with this kid mm. not great on his tires you could not have gotten more mitigation for red bull's tire wear strength and mitigation for oscar and mclaren's tire wear weakness than what we got this weekend mm. So what does Max do? He extends every stint to its maximum and then just drives away at the start of each stint again because he gets good tire offset every time. Oh, and then swung a fastest lap on the field with two laps to the end. Yeah, a grand slam win. Uh, His 14th win of the season, like we said earlier, and he's now got a chance. He lapped his teammate. He lapped Sergio Perez, and he now has a championship lead of over 200 points with five rounds to go. 
this you could take the rest of the year off it wouldn't make a lick of difference yeah he would on his own he would be leading the constructors by over 100 points this 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 is otherworldly i I cannot stress this enough we have never seen anything like this in the 74 years of we, we now know as f1 as we know it this for me is the greatest three-year run in the history of F1. Like, th- this he's, is, this he's is terrifying. I mean, I mean, you can name situations in the past, you know, I would say since, since Red Bull and Honda got their act together in 21. 21 was messy for obvious reasons um, on real, on really both sides of the equation. But since that year, you can name situations where Max didn't maximize, pun intended, everything on the table, one hand, and you'd have hand, you've had fingers left over. Right. Um, every weekend, he just gets the maximum that is available. Um, got a bad start on the medium tires in the sprint, carved back through the field, was catching Piastri and just didn't have enough time. Um, Singapore, car was a dud that weekend, still finished fifth. Yeah, should have been fourth. It was a very unlucky. It wasn't fourth because Leclerc was limping at the end of that race. And that was with Red Bull being badly compromised on strategy. There was still an alternate scenario where Red Bull had a win condition in Singapore. They did. If everything went right. Uh, everything else this year is a win or a second place. And the two second places, one was mechanical induced and one was strategy induced. Yeah. It's as near Every, to- Everything else on the table is a number one. It's 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 as near to a perfect season as we've ever seen in F one. This this is out this is this is outrageous on every level. This is outrageous. I don't care what sort of fucking Hamilton nut hugger you are that still wants to beat the drum about Abu Dhabi twenty twenty one on Twitter. This is the greatest three year run we have ever seen in this sport. He beat a prime Hamilton like in 2021 and even if you want to ignore how abu dhabi finished he went into that final round ahead in the championship on count back with 17 top two finishes out of 21 races well and well and got fucked on three scenarios on singapore or singapore we didn't run singapore in 21 cam that's autopilot no (laughs) reset no monza was fucked on baku yeah, he got, was fucked, he got fucked on uh, on Silverstone 21, mm-hmm. and we'll unpack some more on that kind of move in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he got fucked on Valtteri Bottas going bowling in Hungary. Right. Like, Mons is the only one that's even questionable, and even then I put that I put that in there because of a racing incident. Um, uh, that, that was the exact definition of a 50-50. Yeah, the other three, like... He, he was going to win that race in Baku. It was going to be a Red Bull 1-2, most likely. Almost certainly was going to be... I mean, there was an argument to call that race right there and then given how close the red flag was to the end. Um, you could have You could have called it. And I, and I would have understood the decision if Michael Massey decided to do that. Instead, he wanted to have a, two, a two-lap sprint finish to the race because entertainment... Um, well, we thought it was going to be 25 points swinging back the other way. It ended up being nothing. We'll look out for the magic button. Um, yeah. Um... And then Silverstone, Lewis drifted out wide, carried too much speed into a corner, and turbo murdered him. Yeah, <clears throat> and it happens. Yeah, I don't even hate. I, it's a, this is I don't even hate Lewis for. It's just made a mistake. It happened. 
Yeah. We'll talk about another one in a little bit. And we're mm. going to get roasted to high heaven for it. I don't care. Um, and then Hungary um, got impaled by two other cars hitting his side bot and still finished ninth with 75% of an RB16B. Right. And that was and that was the arguably the weakest of his three seasons because that was also, yeah. according to the eyes of many, the cost cap breaking car. <sighs> Let me tell you something: if Red Bull got this much performance across three seasons out of tax corrected about four hundred, was it four hundred eighty thousand US dollars? It was less than half a mil, definitely. It was about. Then they are K. the greatest technical team in the history of motorsport. <laughs> that, it, ever <laughs> more covid <laughs> i mean that's less than the cost of a formula one gearbox right and 2022 he swatted the red the ferrari title challenge away he broke and ferrari so completely that ferrari has not recovered in any way shape or form they've won one race since austria 20 since, since silverstone 2022 one he got most of the, he helped get most of that regime fired yeah, the Bonotto era is largely dead at Ferrari, purely through Red Bull, swatting them aside in the back half of that year. Bonotto said that Ferrari could win all of the last 10 races. They won zero. They've like, won one race since that. That was a season and a half ago. Right. And in 2023, arguably the Complete greatest... unmitigated domination. The Arguably the greatest single season we've ever seen in Formula One. Yeah. The, the, He's won the 14 out of 17 of... this year. Yeah, the merger of the, the the combination of Max and the RB19 has been about as perfect as you can get. He has right. maximized everything this car has to give, and this car has a lot to give. Yeah, because it's... even now, even having lost 1.25 races, um, because they don't count sprints for the record books as Grand Prix mm. wins, they still have they're still odds on favor to have the single greatest Formula One car of all time. Yeah. On on single season dominance and performance, they're, they're, they are well on pace. It's ridiculous. I mean, to, and to that effect, shout out to Oscar Piastri. I mean, Oscar was... Os, Os, Oscar, this was by a country mile his best weekend in F1. This was the first weekend they he was genuinely better than Norris. Um, and... There's no argument. He, he like he, okay, he had a couple of favorable circumstances. I mean, the sprint, the, the his competition, a lot of them were on the soft tire, which we didn't know was going to be completely unusable in said sprint. Um, but his pace was excellent. By but he was able to hold Verstappen off once he, the latter was in open air towards the back end of that sprint, and then in the race itself. Yes, again, he got lucky starting from P6 that we had a disastrous turn one for three or four cars and he was immediately second on the road. But again, his pace was good enough to hold Norris behind him at the end of the race. Piastri brings home 25 points on the weekend. Um, A a sprint win and a a career-high finish in second. Look, I'm going to be real with you here. I still think people need to pump the brakes on him just a little bit. I said on Twitter yesterday that look, he's a, he's getting a twelve right now. I need him at a nine, but but this kid nine's is the real deal. Good. Like the kid, the kid, the kid is absolutely the real deal. Holy shit! Yeah. I, um, I mean, look, like irrespective of the issues, I mean, he's in his first season 
and he just was able to hold off because Max, he just didn't have enough time with the pace he had. No one else has been able to hold off Max Verstappen for a result this year, Singapore aside. And no one's been able to match Lando Norris in the McLaren since Carlos Sainz did three years ago. Yeah, well, there was the whole Daniel Ricciardo thing. But at the end of the day, Norris Norris, uh, ruined his own weekend because he couldn't stop going over track limits. He screwed up pretty much every qualifying lap he had this weekend. I said it on the WTF1 wrap, and I'll say it again here. Lando, Lando Norris should have won this race. I think his pace was exceptional. He ruined it for himself by starting 10th. I think he would have been a closer second because I do tend to get the impression that Max was on a compromised but safer strategy by going to the limit of the tires each run, Mm -hmm. getting himself undercut, but having more margin on the tires to start with. Ultimately, you can only play what's in front of you. Mm. And Lando screwed himself in Q3 screwed up both of his laps, he ended up starting P10. His pace was exceptional. He was really, really fast. I think he was as fast as Max on paper. Again, maybe Max was compromised. We don't know exactly how much of a factor that was. But I think this could have been Norris's best chance to win a race this weekend, but he blew it for himself. Look, I still think Piastri is a little raw. That tire management, I think, is is the big, big one. Is the big problem with him. But he's almost like an exact replica of his F1 Manager 22 build, if you've ever played that game. The pace he has is the raw speed. He has raw pace in spades, Dre. Yeah, it is. uh, He is is every bit, maybe 1% slower than Lando Norris, who is, in many people's opinion, is a top five driver on this grid. This season, I would argue, this season, I could genuinely argue he's probably been top three. Yeah, Norris has been incredible. Like, if Norris I were to pick had... my top three this year, yeah. Sorry, sorry, cut off. It would no, probably be it. Max, then Lewis, then Lando. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's between Norris and, Al- and Alonso for that for that free spot. It's, I think it's I, very I close between them. I think you could make an argument either way. I think Alonso has been very unlucky due to the development of the car around the middies in, but Norris has been exceptional post upgrade. Um, he's he, he's, like, uh, uh, he's, he's given five... Lando Norris fits. Yeah, Norris admitted it himself. He, like he's admitted that Piastri is giving him trouble, and that is something that is great news for McLaren. Zach Brown has been vindicated for all the driver management bullshit he's done in the last three years because he's. He was able to poach a gem in Oscar Piastri. He's. Uh, Could you imagine how? You imagine how little they'd be able to show at Alpine if you still had the lineup of Fernando Alonso and Oscar Piastri whew, in that shitbox of a car. And look, I'll, I'll say this much about Alpine. The driver lineup is not the problem in that team. Esteban Ocon is a damn good racing driver, and Pierre Gasly. There's more energy. There's more energy in this championship can of Red Bull than there is in the power unit of the Alpine 2023 F1 car. Right, the engine is a boat anchor. Right, right. You look at that. You look at Alpine. The drivers are very good. Like Ocon is a both of them this weekend. Ocon threw up in his helmet, and he was terrific. Seventh in the sixth best car in the field. Gasly would have been in the points too if it wasn't for 15 seconds of time penalties that he picked up. Um, it's it's stupid, but, you know, it's it's, it's unfortunate. But Al, what my point is, of Alpine, the driver quality is not the problem. Um, the problem is their car is just slow. And yeah, they've, got, they've got a half-decent chassis being pulled around by 
a drunk French hamster. Right. And it's, yeah. And we got to talk about as well, turn one and yikes. Uh, everyone put your flame suits on. Yeah. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to say something that, that might be deemed slightly controversial here. That was a hundred percent on Hamilton and he should know better for a driver of his experience. And he admitted um, as much. Yeah. And look, fair play to Lewis. He owned it. Um, you saw the replay and was immediately like, nope, that's on me. And I'm not going to get into too much detail about it. Max committed to the inside. George understandably went for the outside to try and get around him. Hamilton took a risk too many. He was on the soft tire to start off with. He, he, he obviously felt like he, he felt like he could try and gamble on the outside, but was t- he took too narrow a line. He took too narrow a line and he's hit George Russell and he's taken himself out of the race. It was 100% on him. And I, I find it disturbing on social media that Hamilton did the right thing, completely owned his mistake, and he's got his own fans on social media telling him that he's being too diplomatic. What the fuck? Are you kidding me? Um, well, I mean, like when you got instances or like, uh, I'm not even going to say is, I'm just going to refer to him as the most divorced man on planet Earth. <laughs> um, posting entire essays. If you if if you're familiar with F1 Twitter, you probably know who this is. They have a black and white profile picture. That's all I'm going to leave it at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But. And the comparisons to Silverstone 21, like I mentioned earlier, the difference is, is that the car on the outside turning in didn't have a car on the inside understeering into it. Not to Max mention- and George took yeah. their lines, held their lines, and were more than entitled to keep to their lines. Right. Lewis is the one who crossed over into them, and he did, he did it to himself. And when the the commentators agree... The stewards, though they ruled it a lap one, turn one incident, which it was. Yeah, it was. Ruled car 44 predominantly at fault. And when Lewis Hamilton is saying that Lewis Hamilton is at fault, it's okay. He fucked up. He'll, he happens. has seven. I'm sure he'll cry about it over the seven world drivers championships he has. It happened. Uh, yeah, I look, I love Hamilton as much as the next guy, but. His fans on social media do not need to give him the, a benefit of the doubt he doesn't deserve. It's, He'll it's tell you he didn't deserve it. Yeah, he made a mistake. He, I saw people that I genuinely like who are Hamilton fans that were like, I need him to be in his villain era. I'm like, no, he fucked up. No, it happens. He doesn't need to be in his villain era because Mercedes are trying to get their shit back together to get back to the level that we know they can be at, i.e. the dick flattening supreme of the F1 world championship and they don't need their drivers hitting each other. And I'm sorry for whatever plan that was thought up before the race, because supposedly there was a plan in place at Mercedes where the soft tire running Lewis would try to jump everyone into turn one. Ultimately, he still turned across two other cars. Yeah. I I just, that were completely on their own line holding their own lines it, ultimately in racing if you are side by side with someone and you fail to hold your line and you hit them you're gonna be deemed responsible yeah if you're gonna go into a free wide you better be ultra careful about what you're doing and if you're the if you're the last one in you have to be the first one out yeah james Hinchcliffe famously said that and i think he's absolutely spot on 
And yeah, Hamilton's to blame. He's 100% to blame for that one. And honestly, like I try to like Mercedes and how they get down generally as a team, but this was a damage limitation sort of weekend for for Mercedes. And I and I and I've, the cynically minded of me thinks they were trying to play damage control a lot this weekend because I know they only missed it back on Thursday. Like Lewis Hamilton was asked about the possibility of an eleventh team in Formula One, and Andretti was specifically referenced in the question because it was their bid was approved by the FIA last week. Um, so of course people are going to get asked their opinions on it, and Hamilton was all for it, um, saying that yeah, I'd have happily love an eleventh team, two more seats on the grid, more more opportunity for a diverse entry, brilliant, fantastic, all for it. Then he goes and finds a fan account on Twitter the next day and says, I back an 11th team, but not Andretti. Andretti was specifically mentioned in that in that press conference. Call it what it was. He backtracked. And, and again, if he wants to backtrack, at least own the backtracking. It's fine. Yeah. I'm not going to hate you for it. We're not um, stupid. We know that we know that his team boss doesn't want Andretti on the grid. That's you have like, the t- transcripts. You're a literal <laughs> motorsport journalist, Ray. This is how toxic discourse is on this platform, where we can do our jobs properly as journalists and report the backtracking that your driver and your team he's driving for has done, and we're the ones at fault. It's fucking how nonsense. How dare you read the transcripts correctly? To, to, to bring us back on track a little bit here, that, mm. but Mercedes dodged a bullet with this one because Ferrari was going to take a boatload of points off of them, except for the fact that Carlos Sainz couldn't start due to a fuel leak. Oh, DNS. Um, and, and Charles Leclerc has very quietly put down some 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 good work in the last few rounds. He's had four, four, fourth, and fifth the last five, last four weekends. He's I mean, other than Singapore, he's gotten everything that car has to give because it's the Ferrari's just not a very good car. Um, <laughs> but it meant that despite the fuckery at turn one, Mercedes actually extended their gap in the second in the constructors. Hamilton lost one round to try and catch up Sergio Perez for second in the championship because Sergio Perez is he cheeks. is the struggle bus cheeks he was cheeks this weekend he's been cheeks for multiple weekends yeah he, it's like started in the midfield couldn't get his hard tires track going limits. and then picked up 15 seconds worth of track limits penalties and it got so uh, bad no, that his say, end- it, it was in qualifying what ruined his weekend he got track limits on pretty much every qualifying lap that mattered. Yeah, and in the race itself, it got so bad, his engineer said, Sergio, this is hurting our race. Like, even his engineer is starting to get fed up with him at this point. Like, it's it's not good, man, honestly. Like, we could get into Paris for another half an hour if we really wanted to, but he is not good enough right now, and he is only putting himself in deeper and deeper trouble by being the way that he is right now. And yeah. it, it's just, and, it's just not good I mean, enough. McLaren, McLaren has outscored Red Bull over the last five races as a result because they've got two drivers who are racking up podiums with abandon. Mm. And the the endless well of Max Verstappen's might can only tide that back for so long. If next year, if McLaren even maintains this, because they are clearly the second best team in the field. They are blowing Mercedes and Ferrari and Aston out of the water right now. Um, this has been some of the best in-season development I've seen in my time watching Formula One. It's incredible. 
Um, it's, like it's the, the last time I saw a car take this kind of jump was probably the 2009 McLaren. Yeah, um, it's it's, it's they the, that car yeah, around. It's a it's a remarkable <laughs> turnaround. The first eight rounds of this season, they'd scored 17 points. They've scored 202 since then. They had the worst car in Formula One for the first three races. It was horrible. Yeah. And then and um, then now. If, if this continues through next year, Red Bull are going to have a genuine problem because, like, you want to know a fun fact? Last three race weekends, McLaren has outscored Red Bull by 29. Yeah. Max can win every race there is to win. And believe me, he's trying. Um, but if McLaren can maintain this into next year, Max will run the field over for the Drivers' Championship. But Red Bull will have to look over their shoulders in the constructors because. I mean, and, and this is the first time Horner has really addressed it in a post-race uh, press conference, but they don't have two drivers right now. No, they have one and a half, if that. The one and a half is actually Max Verstappen. There is no yeah. second driver. Yeah, and and, and and Checo was so much better than this last year. Like, it's it's genuinely frustrating. Yes, okay. He's broken. He's, he's won Max the same number. He's won the same number of Grand Prix, but Checo was a 300-point scorer last year easily and should have been second in a championship. But Dre, well, think back to last year when Max won his driver's championship on that very rainy, very regulatory, fucked-up day in Japan. Mm. He was throwing hands with Charles Leclerc all race. Yeah. Charles Leclerc, who is one of the best wheel-to-wheel racers in Formula One and mm. bad fast. Yeah, and but, but he was still 27 seconds down the road. He's getting lapped, Dre. Yeah, lapped. He got lapped. Lapped on pace alone. Embarrassing. And it didn't even matter for the championship because he qualified so badly for the sprint that he was in prime stinger range for Ocon to impale him Yeah, and knock him out of the sprint. And yeah, Perez was unlucky on that one. I mean, you can never, you can never, um, you know... No one ever expects the the Alpine Inquisition into your yeah. side pod. The, the, but the, also, free, the, free, the free wide, of course. Why are you down there in a Red Bull RB19 fighting with the Haases and the Alpines? It's just not good enough. You're in it's the best car. Too... In, you, you're in the best car in the sports history. Why, how are you this bad? And the worst thing is, he only had the second biggest deficit between drivers. Hello, Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll, who had, without doubt, his worst weekend in Formula One. He was quite literally a second a lap off of Alonso's pace in the race. And, and he also fought with his engineers. And threw, his, threw his wheel out of the car after getting eliminated in Q1 in, on Friday <laughs> and then shoved his trainer afterwards. Which is just all sorts of fucky. On, Lawrence, on your levels. son is writing checks that his ass cannot cash. And yeah. sooner or later, the other shareholders at Aston Martin... They're gonna come. They're they're gonna come for your head. I don't think he's made a Q two since since before the break. And the I mean the Aston isn't as good as it was when it started the season. Alonso was running fourth to fifth for most of this race before he went off. Yeah, and uh, God bless him. Alonso is trying. Like he's, he's if anything, he's overdriving to try and compensate for its deficiencies right now. Yeah, I, I mean, Dre, we talked about this in, in, in a Discord chat um, a couple of weeks ago, but you could name, similar to Max with the maximization of the car, you can name opportunities that Alonso has left on the table. You can count them on one hand, and you would have fingers left over this year. 
Alonso is getting everything this car has to give pretty much every weekend. Yeah. Stroll is a second a lap off his pace. It's, it, it's, it's horrible. People have been fired for less. People have been fired for a lot less than that. Before we get out of here as well, um, I want to talk about Andretti. Um, well, we're already at an hour 10. Fuck it. Might as well put the whole lot in there as well um, because we're here already. I mean, we got the word last week that Andretti's um, formal bid to join the F1 grid as early as 2025 uh, was accepted by the FIA. Um, and yeah, they, they the problem is we all know what the what the parameters are here that you know they also need Formula One's commercial rights holders, F, the FOM, to also greenlight the bid. And we we all suspected this is this was where the true battleground was going to be drawn here. Um, and yeah, I mean, what have you made of it all cam so far? And, and I'd, I'd like your overall opinion on it. Cause I think it's a, this is going to be political warfare going forward now. Yeah. It, and, and it already is. I mean, the war of words has been constant and uh, very funny for um, George Russell to be the first one to fire the shot of we're formula one. We want quality, not quantity. <laughs> Two races after crashing himself into a wall and out of a podium position. My man, you used to drive for Williams when they were flat broke. Nah, he drove the 2019 Williams where the brakes didn't fit on the car when they first built it. Yeah, and they had an illegal suspension fork in their car. That car that was so bad, it pretty much killed Paddy Lowe's legacy in F1 overnight. <laughs> a car that was that bad and illegal. If you're going to be illegal, at least be good. If you're going to cheat, cheat right. Exactly. I mean, come on. I mean, um, Christian but, but, Horner but it, saying that they're going to build their own power unit first, despite the fact he's running Honda's intellectual property in his car already. No, no, he's like, it's not even it's not even Honda's intellectual property. It's a Honda power unit. The stickers right. are there, um, and they're not going to be running their own IP as far as power unit until twenty six, and then it's going to have Ford stickers on it. So I don't know. Um, it's just, it's, it's just, just a this... lot. It's a it's a lot of Formula One head honchos and drivers and me coughing violently from the lingering effects of COVID of people talking out of both sides of their mouth. Right. Because you can't value your own team. I mean, Alpine just value themselves at $800 million. You can't value your own teams at this level and then have James Vowles coming out saying, Oh, we're flat broke. We can't afford to, have more dilution when Andretti has openly stated they're willing to pay whatever anti-dilution fee is on the table. Currently, it's 200 million US. It's likely going to be more than that. But right now, the important thing is they are approved. FOM cannot legally stop them from paying that entry fee and competing. Right. The question is the commercial rights. And the question for that is, and commercial rights are beyond just TV, but obviously the TV money showing the cars on. Imagine if we had like a 12 car pileup and we can't show it on the cameras because the Andretti's were involved. That right. would be funny. Yeah. Um, the, but Mohammed it's the Sil- yeah, yeah. Mohammed Ben Sulaim literally said it wouldn't be impossible if Andretti got in without a commercial rights agreement where you just could straight up couldn't show him on TV, which would be very problematic in many ways. What, you're going to not show the race starts anymore? I mean, but it is possible, like to the letter of the rules that can have they can't stop Andretti from entering. They can stop him another way, though. The biggest the biggest one is that 
commercial rights also includes commercial freight, the flying of all the teams, cars, and drivers to each event. Mm. That's organized by Formula One management. That, among other things, it's just going to be one long, massive clusterfuck where the game, and we talked about this at length the other day in a Discord as well um, Mm. with a few friends of the show. The game, as far as I can see it, is drag this out, stop Andretti via any means necessary, even if it means you go to a court and you end up looking, you end up being ruled a trust and find out the ass. Right. It doesn't matter because if you can get that anti-dilution fee high enough, then you can force Andretti's hand and ensure that the only viable way for them to get in is to buy an existing member of the club. And no one's going to sell because they know how much their place is now worth. Like Alpine, if anything, gave the game away by selling a quarter of their team off earlier this year. They set their own price at $800 million, roughly. You know, and look, I don't like... They're a factory, but they stink. Yeah, I mean, look, look, I don't like any of this. I don't like the fact that Mohamed Ben Sulaim is essentially using Andretti as a political pawn to go fuck you, at the FOM. That is, this is blatantly what his game plan was all along. Improve an Andretti bid, wash his hands and say, hey, look, the FA approved this bid. It's your problem now. Because I wanted more teams in F1 the whole time. I wanted more engine manufacturers. I wanted 12 teams on the grid. This is my way of saying, fuck you. You go figure it out. And this is General Motors. And we know they have announced their intent that they do plan to build their own power unit. Right. The other aspect of this that people might not know about is that GM in all of their cars that they sell, especially in the United States, are one of the biggest purveyors of Sirius XM satellite radio. Mm-hmm. Who owns Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Dre? I believe it's Liberty Media. One of their biggest cash cows. There is a lot more at play than just Formula One if Andretti and GM really want to put guns to heads. They could make this very ugly if they want to. Like, it's it, it depends how, how, how badly... Does Andretti want to make this happen? How badly do they want to, to, to get ugly regarding this fight? Because they can make it very ugly if they want to. They can use all sorts of weapons and bargaining tools at their disposal. Like, it's obvious. It's more than obvious. The teams do not want the the 11th team. It's it's competition. It's greed. Call it what it is. You know, they can't they can't directly say it's that because they look like idiots in terms of PR. But we all know that's the reason why they're going to reject this bid. Oh, it's the fact that Andretti can take them to EU antitrust court and they would destroy FOM for it. Yeah. And the FIA will, will wash its hands of it and say, well, we approved them. So not our problem. Um, the FIA will stand in Andretti's corner. Yeah. Like I said, because like I said, like I said, Mohamed Ben Sulaim is using them as a pawn because he doesn't like the management side of the sport. He he, he he understandably called out a potential Saudi Arabian twenty billion dollar bid to buy the sport out back in January. Quite rightly said, "Hang on a minute, these new owners might be bad for the sport. It's more than just the cash." And the teams told him to shut the fuck up. And then Ben Sillian was like, fine, I'm not going to have any say in the day-to-day running of F1 anymore. These two parties do not like each other. And Andretti is the latest ball in the middle of a very nasty political court between the governing body, uh, which Mohammed Ben Sillian has literally called himself the landlord of Formula One, versus 
the the sports commercial wing who clearly wants that US franchise model of the 10 teams making more money together in a unified group and not worrying about an 11th team coming in and diluting their pot even though it's more than obvious that you don't want to make your pot any bigger because there is no better bid available than an American team, a market that you're desperate to push. You know, we've we've seen you go from one US Grand Prix to three overnight. You're throwing bucket loads of money at Miami and Vegas to try and get those races, to try and take that American market that you're desperate to have, but you want to spit in the face of an American team with an American power unit manufacturer trying to get on the grid. Are you fucking kidding me, FOM? You, yeah, you, are, you are not going to get uh, at the end of the day. It doesn't actually matter how much value because they will say it's about the value. They'll say it's about how much Andretti and GM bring to the sport. Ultimately, it doesn't actually matter because it's better for the teams to just say, oh, I don't see it. They don't bring anything. So the even if they objectively do, they're always going to say that they don't because it's better for them. What the fuck is Haas bringing to the table? What the fuck is a rebranded Alpha? Like, what the hell is a rebranded for the second time in five years Alpha Tauri bringing to the sport? Before they were bought out by Audi, what was Sauber bringing to the table? Please and tell we, me. And, and there are rumblings around Sauber and Audi right now. That aren't good. And and let me tell you, if if these new power unit regulations come around, and Volkswagen doesn't even bother after dropping the money. You've gained one engine manufacturer, and it's effectively Red Bull with a skeleton crew of former Mercedes and Honda entities or, or, or personnel. And then you have an entity in Ford who literally are just slapping a sticker on it because Ford is not actually entering. No. They're supplying stickers, it's, it's goodwill, a brand deal. stickers, goodwill, and a thumbs up. It's a brand That's deal. Call it what it is. It. Yeah, it's you. It, you gain no. one engine manufacturer who's not actually an engine manufacturer, and oh by the way, they're only going to supply the two Red Bull teams. So you just burn down your previous set of regulations for no gain potentially. Yeah, it's. I, I just, I just think all of this is a spit in the face to America more than anything else. This is a market you've tried desperately hard to crack over the last five years, and yet. You got the dream scenario, an American team with actual clout, the biggest racing name in the United States in Andretti, with General Motors backing backing up the bid, that are prepared to pay any anti-dilution fee on the table and build their own power unit. And that's not good enough? Fuck off! You, you might as well just say Formula One is a closed shop. And that and ultimately I think that's that's saying the quiet part out loud, is that they want F1 to be a closed shop. The problem is that every time you get a closed shop in motorsport where everyone seals themselves together, one entity leaving topples that whole Jenga. Half these teams didn't make it out of the pan- almost didn't make it out of the pandemic. Williams died. Williams Why died and had to be bought. <sighs> McLaren had to mortgage the MTC. They sold, they sold, what was it, 25% of the team? Yeah. Up to 33 I mean, the McLaren car brand is not doing good either. No. Um, they, let, they let go of over 1,000 people during the pandemic. Let's not forget, there was a massive amount of layoffs in that factory. Yeah. So you can't be talking out of both sides of your mouth and saying, 
oh, well, we make so much money this way. We can't dilute it. And then at the same time, or we don't want to dilute it and then say, oh, well, we don't have any money. We can't do it. Well, pick a hill to die on. Look, if if you want to say we're just fro- ex- it's look, it's telling us that we're too stupid to understand what they're saying. Look, I I, I have a lot of time and appreciation for James Valves. He's one of the good ones in F one as a team boss, and I genuinely like the and he's done fantastic work at Williams this year. I I, I say this wholeheartedly. I have friends in that Williams team. They talk glowingly about how great a leader James Valves has been since taking that job on. Mm-hmm. I have it on. I have I have eyewitness accounts on this. They love Valves. He was talking out of both sides of his mouth when he was talking about it on Sky. You can't be sitting there telling me you're throwing hundreds of millions of pounds in this sport to try and get him up the grid while also saying we're too financially unstable to, to, to have an 11 team. You can't say your team is worth that much while also saying your team isn't worth enough to survive. It's bollocks. It's in, it's total bollocks. You like, in other words, like we are like, how how can you sit there and say we're gonna throw tens of millions of pounds into F one, but also say you're openly admitting we're too financially unstable to do it? Yet you're also saying, now nah, can't have this guys as we shove this money into an open pit. Now nah, can't take an eleventh team because <laughs> well, yeah. the play is and and JB friend of the show is in the chat and has said it. The play is to push things out until you can make the anti-dilution fee fundamentally unpayable. Yeah, stall. Stall as long as you can. Stall as long as you can. Make it so much that no one in their right mind would actually pay it. And then by right of already being in the club, your team's automatically worth a minimum of that anti-dilution fee. Yeah, 100%. Because then you can just sell up and then your shareholders laugh all the way home. The lowest number I've heard regarding that new fee is 700 million and that was from zach brown at mclaren that's the lowest number i've heard on the record off the record i've heard numbers with a b mentioned yeah it, it's, it's and we terrifying. know based on based on current actual valuation not the potential f1 is not worth that much money no. to have the the foot in the door at a billion dollars because unlike a traditional franchise model you don't get anything when you go into formula one you get the no. right to show up and get your ass beat by Red Bull and Max Verstappen. Right. That's about it. You don't get a stadium. You don't no. get TV rights beyond what FOM will negotiate for you. Mm-hmm. You don't get local rights for, say, a stadium like a home game. Right. You just get the right to show up. Yeah. And you cannot run your system like a franchise model and then not be a franchise in the way you support your own entities. That's the point. The NFL negotiates everything as a sports league and then divvies up that money 32 ways amongst the other franchises, which 31 of them are privately owned. The only one that isn't is the Green Bay Packers. Famously, they're fan they're fan owned. You know, so it's it's and a ton it's of that money is local TV rights. Yeah. It's it's for it's for, not- for any franchise, especially on like the on the college side of things, because NFL is really more you know big network TV most of the time. Of course, yeah, it, it's it's bollocks, man. It, like it, it's such a sh- I mean, it, this was all expected. I, I knew it was going to go down this way. It was more than obvious. Teams the teams would kick up a stink. At, 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 at best, they'd be apathetic towards it. Zach Brown's the only one that's even really even hinted being okay with it as long as the fee was stupid high like like i said he said i'm okay with it if it's 700 mil is what he basically said 
was it a three and a half times increase. Um, like it's 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 absolutely mental that they're using the mortgaged potential value of the sport to play Andretti for suckers, and I think it's stupid. But you know, there you go. And if they're not going to get in with full manufacturer support, with full sponsorship from an entity like Gainbridge, nobody's going to get it. No, you might as well call it a closed shop, which it basically is right now. If this if this bid gets, and I think it will, I think the build, I think they'll find some bullshit reason to reject this bid, uh, and or or kick the can down the road. Well, the long the bid is approved. It's a question well, of whether Andretti are going to be competing basically entirely out of their own pocket, and if they're willing to do that. Um, and ship all their own shit everywhere and not be shown on TV. Which would be, that just isn't worth it for me at that point. That'd be self-destructive. Yeah. Um, That would be risking Andretti, Andretti Global, as we now call it. Um, You know, the health of that organization. And that's absolutely, that's going to be the play is, fine, if you want to compete in F1, we're going to make you kill your own team. Good luck. (sighs) But uh, yeah, Formula One will be back in a week and a half's time at the Circuit of the Americas. It's the United States Grand Prix next weekend. Again, RJ will be at that one too, the lucky bastard. Um, but uh, yeah, that'll be that one in Austin. Um, again, we're, we're all playing for second. It's like Larry Bird has rolled up in his warm-up jacket saying, so, you know, which one of you guys is coming for second? And we'll see how that plays out again. Like I said, the United States Grand Prix week and a half's time in Austin. One of my favorite rounds, actually. I'm looking, looking forward to it, but, uh, you know, hope, hopefully we'll get a decent race out of it. Next podcast will be a little bit of a catch-up for us on uh, MotoGP. Mark Marquez officially leaving Repsol Honda and a little bit on the Japanese Grand Prix that wasn't uh, next time around as well. So look forward to that. Until then, I've been Dre Harrison. He's been Cam Barkley. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. Sayonara. God, he's going to pass Seb's win total by the end of the year. Kill me. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs>